Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Veterans Project Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Kay. Here, as always, our next guest on the podcast is a good friend of mine and one of those guys who, if I were to give a gift to you, the listener, wherever you're listening at, in your car, house, wherever you may be, it would be to spend a day with this guy or even an hour. I still remember the first discussion I ever had with him, and it was after watching one of his Instagram videos and almost laughing myself into a coma. My literal thought at the time was, why is this guy not writing sketches for SNL or on his own stand-up tour? To say that Jay Fane's attitude about his own sacrifices in combat is one of perseverance is really to belittle his strength, resolve, and ability to even laugh at what most would describe as a horrific injury. You know, I I had a bit of a wake-up call after editing this podcast because even I can become a little numb to the pain of war and all that's been given up in support of the global war on terror. It wasn't really until I sat down this morning to write the intro that I realized I just had two of my friends on the podcast, two of them, back-to-back with above-the-knee amputations. Let's not forget that this is an injury that even 50 or 60 years ago was pretty much considered a death sentence. Now you have two guys on back-to-back podcasts who have not only survived, but thrived in their respective circumstances and moved on to become successes in almost everything they do. And although the two of them employ completely different coping mechanisms, their resilience is something equally admirable. The fortitude and adaptability these men both showed in the face of an utter catastrophe remains mind-blowing to me. Before I turn the mic over to Jay, though, I have to say that I've had some tough days in this work. I'm not looking for the pity party, and I don't know much about secondary trauma, but I do know that the work of this can get pretty weighty due to the fact that war is just a very serious subject. Hearing about these experiences constantly has led me to some dark days, and honestly, that surprised me a little bit in how much these stories have affected my own thoughts and feelings. So with that said, I want to personally thank Jay for bringing some comedic relief into the hardest days in this work. The sense of humor is often the infantryman's best friend, and he truly has one of the best I've ever witnessed. That's the truth, Jay. I'm not just buttering you up, man. You do have one of the best senses of humor I've ever seen. His Instagram videos have brought me to tears almost more times than I can count. Uh, If you get a chance, we will put a link in the description to his Instagram. Uh, Prepare for... Hours and hours of laughs. We we all need a little more comedic relief in life, and Jay has definitely helped me realize that. Now, I don't want you guys to think that this podcast is going to be overly comedic because we did tackle some very serious subjects. But if you need a laugh, please follow him. You won't regret it. So without all that being said, and without any further ado, here he is, the one and only Jay Fang. The Veterans Project is a comprehensive essay capturing the legacies of our warfighters, caregivers, and civilians who have stepped forward in defense of our patriotic principles in an effort to capture their stories and to never forget the staggering sacrifices of our nation's finest. This is the Veterans Project podcast, where our legacies are the mission. Here's your host, Tim Kay. Welcome to the Veterans Project Podcast. My name is Tim Kay. I'm your host as always. Today we've got Rufio. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. 
here in the studio from Hook. <laughs> oh, Jay Fane, welcome, man. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to great to have you, brother. So, Jay, um, you know, obviously, I first interacted with you because of your hilarious, <laughs> hilarious Instagram videos. <laughs> um, I think it was one of like uh, like a, a guy was having like a Vietnam flashback, flashback, yeah. and it had to do with the COVID. <laughs> <laughs> and for those yeah. of you who don't know what I'm talking about, I'll I'll provide a link at the time so you can see it. <laughs> but um. You know, Jay, obviously you're a very funny guy, uh, but, you know, you served in the Army, right? Yeah. Okay, and you were combat wounded mm-hmm. overseas in Iraq. Yes. Uh, can you take us back, as we do with this podcast, we like to go back through the life and kind of talk about what brought us to our service, and I really yeah. just wanted to hear from you what, what that was that kind of brought you to where you were. What do you remember about growing up? Uh, you grew up he- around here, right, in Columbia? No, no. So oh. uh, my dad was uh, Army. Okay. You know, he did 36 years in the, in the army. So I grew up an army brat and uh, moved around my whole life. And, and I always knew like, I'm just going to join the military. I'd never thought about like joining or trying to be a doctor or a lawyer or mm-hmm. whatever. I knew I was going to be in the military in some way, shape or form, whether that was like before college, after college or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I knew I was going to join and, um, I didn't join right after high school. I joined, uh, when I was 20. Okay. Um, we had just moved from Chicago down to here in, in South Carolina. My dad's last duty station was here at Fort Jackson. And it was my second semester of the second year of college I was in. And uh, one of my best friends I, w- I was in high school with, um, my buddy Sean, he, was, he he joined the Marine Corps right after high school. He got deployed to Iraq. Well, he got stationed in Hawaii. Okay. I had deployed to Iraq and he got killed. I got a call from his uh, little sister like oh, wow. one morning before class. I get a call from his little sister saying uh, Sean has been killed. And, uh, wow. Which was devastating. He's one of my best friends in high school and went to the funeral. This was um, February 2005 when that happened to him. And we went to the funeral. And then when I got, literally when I got back, after my on my way back, my dad drove up with me there and he drove back here to South Carolina, literally on the way back. Sorry. Uh, literally <laughs> on the way back, um, I was like, dad, I don't know. I got friends because he was, we had another buddy of ours died that uh, graduated in the same class with buddy, my buddy Jeff. Oh, wow. And um, he died during the... The April invasion of Fallujah. Okay. Yeah. In 2004. He was in the Marines mm-hmm. too. Yeah. yeah. But um, I was like, I got friends over there already serving and dying. I was like, I can't just sit around and just go to school and do nothing with my life. That's what I felt like I was really doing. It was just kind of going to school and really not doing anything. So you were in college at the time? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I was like, I just want to join my dad. My dad's all about it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, did the whole whole you know ASVAB thing, MEPS thing, and then I was in uh, Fort Benning, Georgia that that summer, May of two thousand five, and wow. graduated and uh, got stationed in Germany, deployed from there. Wow, mm-hmm. Iraq, mm-hmm. first pump. Yeah, and who were you with? You were with First ID. Yeah, okay. First ID. Yeah, and what do you remember about when you first got to the unit and you were you know getting ready to gear up and go over there? When I first got to unit, it was right after airborne school, came home for a couple of weeks, got to Germany. 
which is funny. You know, I was an air, I was an airborne graduate, but I went to a mech unit. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so I became a Bradley. Welcome to the army. <laughs> yeah. At first, I was a dismounted rifleman, and they just made me a Bradley driver. So I was like, eh, you know, Bradley driver with airborne wings, but whatever. But <laughs> welcome to the army, where yeah. nothing makes sense and the points don't matter. <laughs> and um, which was kind of funny when I first showed up to my unit. Uh, the whole battalion, like my, my company, like maybe was at like 50% because they just got back from a tour in Iraq and um, people were ETS and PCSing and it was like just, there was not many people there. So me and like a few other guys were like the first wave of brand new privates there mm-hmm. with all these disgruntled dudes that got back from deployment and all this stuff were like, oh great. Sounds sounds terrible. Yeah. For the, <laughs> so for the first like, couple months before like there was like so i got there in like uh like october or something like that yeah oh five and for like the first maybe month Mm -hmm. not even it was just me and like six or seven other dudes in the whole company that were like brand spanking new privates oh geez you know so yeah target yeah we always got messed with or all the details or just something (laughs) you know something for the the old guys to to do yeah (laughs) and then like in november or something like that like there was a huge like just wave of brand new people that showed up um so that kind of like we kind of got off the radar there you were the veterans at that point yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's cool man but um so what so when did you guys head over there uh, we so I got to my unit uh, there in October '05, and we deployed to Iraq. I think that summer of 2006, like June, July, or something like that. That's when like the ad- advance left, and then we went to Kuwait, and then July, August, we're all in Bag- Baghdad. Okay, what were you guys doing? What were you tasked with as far as the mission set? Um, just at first, like you know, we. They gave us a little piece of Baghdad, like northern Baghdad. Yeah. Um, and just first was just go, like the area that we were patrolling, especially specifically my my company, my platoon, uh, hasn't been patrolled by like Americans in months, mm. in a long time. So they're like, "Hey, this is your area, just to get to know the people." And so we just patrolled. All at first it was really just doing patrols and like learning you know, area familiarization, you know, of the area and getting right. to know what's going on and all that. And and then, you know, all missions change and or something changes or we move somewhere else and it might change into more of like what what pretty much Iraq changed for every like conventional unit was just a, kind of like a, a police force. You right. Know, just maintaining p- peace between, you know, neighborhoods or between tribes or, you know, trying to make sure like the bad guys in the neighborhoods are not like messing with the good people's businesses and stuff like that. So we're pretty much like being cops. Right. And all that over there. Yeah. Is that what you thought it would be when you joined? Was that, or did you have any preconceived notions of kind of what service would be like for you in Iraq? Um, well, since I was, uh, at my unit for a good amount of time before I deployed, yeah, all the guys that had been to Iraq and stuff before, you know, they painted a pretty good picture of how it was for them mm-hmm. and how it probably will be when we go over there. So I had a pretty good picture of uh, of an idea or what it might be. And I wasn't like, not saying I was like disappointed or like happy or whatever, but I was like, okay, yeah, they're they're pretty much right. Yeah. You know, these, these guys done it before a couple of times, once or twice or more than that. And, and you know, it was... Uh, 
Oh, it was interesting when I first got there um, and talking to the people at first, like, just how people change, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, at first, like, they were, like, kind of really happy to see us around. But then, like, after a while, it was not that. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best uh, description of working with a different culture ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> best description of Iraq ever. Yeah. First, they were happy to see us, and then not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You So you could tell the tide changed a little bit. Yeah, in yeah. certain areas and certain neighborhoods, definitely. Yeah, it really did change a lot. Yeah. But there's some areas they absolutely just loved seeing us yeah. being around. That's so. interesting. Yeah. Did you, were, were you happy to be over there? Were you, did you feel like you were making a real difference on the ground there? Did you? I mean, yeah, we did pretty freaking good job of like, um, you know, maintaining the p- peace and like, you know, to the best of our ability and like, you know, like not like, you know, especially keeping the locals safe. Yeah. You know, we did a fairly good job of that, you know, um, but the main mission was, I guess, ultimate goal for Iraq, as everyone knows, was, uh, you know, for them to be a self-sustaining country. You know, right. we're, we're just there to, like, help. Help guide yeah, them into help that. Help guide into that. And I feel like we did a good job doing that with the partner forces and all that stuff. But once we left, I mean, you see how it turned out. Just, yeah. It's not that. No, you know? no, no. So. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely difficult. I think... Uh, it's it's a it's such a difficult thing when you explain the dynamics of you know of countries and the way that they've been established mm-hmm. and set up but you expect to like just bring a democracy in yeah. there and it's like hey guys this is gonna be like a 15-year process yeah. oh really <laughs> when they've been doing this for centuries and yeah. centuries like it's such a complex dynamic there but yeah i mean i think everybody knew once we left like that place was gonna crumble oh yeah like yeah, absolutely yeah. <laughs> there's no question about it. man i thought the guys i was working with were like super super solid i thought they'd hold it down for me for a while mm-hmm. it's like even if the individuals that you're working with are solid there's you know for for every one dude who's doing the right thing you know there's always guys where you like after i mean it sucks after we left a lot of those people that we trained up that were really loyal and like doing good jobs they were they were hunted down and assassinated after we left you know so jeez yeah and the whole country just kind of went to where where it's at now yeah exactly um so how long were you over there when uh how long were you over there before you got blown up like eleven months. Eleven months. Oh, mm-hmm. you so you were over there for a while. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah. so when were you? How long was the tour supposed to be? Like one of those fifteen, sixteen month oh, deployments. Yeah, <laughs> marathon. <laughs> it just like they'd start. I think they just started implementing that in Iraq, where they're they're keeping the conventional units longer than the normal twelve months, which is still long. Yeah. Um. Uh. They just started implementing that we're doing like the 15 or 16 month deployment or whatever yeah. it was and uh i don't really remember the reasoning i'm going to guess because it's just you know probably cheaper to keep them there than like just try to transfer units out a lot or whatever but you six- guys have families yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Which> cool <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, maybe re- not anymore <laughs> i think i think about that stuff nowadays it's like wow man like what how do they expect people to come back from this you know <laughs> like you know <laughs> yeah like i'm just gonna have like yeah. a super positive mentality yeah. when i get home <laughs> it says it says a lot about like how th- how you know how people 
up in the upper echelon really don't care about the younger echelon or whatever you know yeah it's true the guys in suits don't care about the dudes on the ground yeah. but it's because most of them have never been there yeah. they have no clue what it's like that's why we need more of us in leadership in washington mm-hmm. understanding but i don't think it'll ever be that way man yeah, just, a lot of those guys are you know they're born born and bred po- politics and politicians you know all they see is numbers and and money you know yeah. and mm-hmm. how to make that look good on paper exactly you know? Yeah, that's true, man. That's been and that's been true since the starts of the war. I mm-hmm. mean, that's been true since Vietnam, dude. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. They've been, you know, how many guys do you meet? I mean, I meet a ton of Vietnam veterans that are so bitter about politicians. Mm-hmm. They won't even get into it, the fact that they think the Vietnam War was right or wrong. Yeah. They just want to talk about how greedy and disgusting the politicians were. That's how it was, man. Yeah. Dude, especially for the Vietnam guys, dude. Yeah. Suck for them. Yeah. You know? Super bad. Um, so, you know, you were talking about long deployments and I think about, you know, you were there for 11 months at the time when you got blown up. I had a buddy who, uh, was in the 34th ID, which is the Red Bulls out of Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And they were running convoys between Fallujah and Ramadi mm-hmm. and they got extended like four times. Mm-hmm. So they were supposed to be over there for 12 months. And then they ended up being the longest sustained force in country <laughs> in the war's history. They did 22 months. That sucks, man. <laughs> My buddy's vehicle got hit 10 times on the deployment. That's so like annoying. <laughs> yeah, and like you could tell, like he was not all there, dude. Yeah, like you know, he we went over to Iraq, and I was like, oh, I don't like, I don't know about this dude. Like, I don't really think he should be going back here. Yeah. You know, he volunteered for it because he needed the money, you know, combat mm-hmm. pay and all that. But it's just like, man, like this is the cost, you know, of what doing battle looks like. And I think mm-hmm. about, you know, a lot of people mentioned the fact that the World War II guys went over there for, you know, they didn't know how long. And most yeah. of them probably thought they weren't going to come home. Yeah. But and a lot of them didn't. But then you think about like there was a finality, right? Like when the war ended, they were either killed or they came back to a victory. Yeah. And it's like for us, it's like there is no end to this. Nah. Like, I, I mean, how many guys did you know who've done like six, seven tours? Oh, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and on the special operations side, like yeah. 18 or so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just live there. <laughs> Here's your new home, guys. <laughs> Enjoy your adobe walls, <laughs> your mud hut. <laughs> this is your home. <laughs> Invest in some real estate over I'm, here, guys. You know? I've lost six wives. <laughs> we don't care. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy, man. But yeah, I don't know how they, how they expect guys to sustain mm-hmm. that same mental game going over there. Again well, and again. you got to think about like the military is only really made to be a fighting force, and that's their main focus when it comes to like anything. So the military, United States military, were really good at training up and making people good at war. Yeah, you know. Yeah. What they're not good at is after that, the yeah. whole transitioning, getting out. You know, yes. it's like, hey, you're in, you're a guest, you're out, you're a pest now. Yeah. You know, like. <laughs> I like that quote. They yeah. be on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> they give you that shirt as you're walking out of the building. <laughs> Bye. So I mean, they have. I mean, only recent. I guess more recently, from what I've heard, people getting out and stuff. Now they have. They're better at the. Yeah. Making the transition a little bit. Better. Now that it doesn't matter as yeah. much. <laughs> but. You didn't even do any combat yeah. tours. Now they have like two year things where and, you're getting out, and they and, pre- and they have all these pro like all these foundations and stuff, and yeah. you know, nonprofits that are good at like helping. Assist yeah, thank God transition. for those. Yeah, jeez. Yeah. But you know, the military—that's not their main focus—is yeah. to help guys transition out of the military. That's 
you know, it goes from military to the VA. Now it's VA is your problem, you know, and, uh, yeah. or it's their problem and, or whatever, you know, it's, you're, you're not under contract with us anymore. So it, it really, if you think about business, like you can't completely blame them. No, no, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's just how it is. Yeah. Know? Yeah. No, that's a good point, man. I, I think too often we, kind of look at this big, you know, this overarching system that is the United States military. We just think like, you need to do a job taking mm-hmm. better care of us. And they're like, we've never done that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've never cared about you yeah. when you left. Like, that's not our job. We're trying to create killers. Yeah, like, we can make you a damn badass combat soldier, but, you know, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I think it all comes down to, you know, not not really playing for keeps it's like i think if we had finality in those wars and like mm-hmm. we were able to do what we needed to do i don't know you know whatever that be you know turn the place to glass or you know do what we yeah. or or just take that soft approach and realize we're going to be there for 100 years yeah it's like you've got to give the guys some type of win mentally yeah otherwise it's going to be always tough getting some kind out. of win or at least a closure of some yeah. sort right you know? some type of closure yeah. i mean even like you you'll hear about guys coming back um you know in, in like being wounded i don't know if you got to do that where like you get operation they had an operation where they take you back yeah i was uh me and uh you know omar our crispiest yeah. people be him and uh like uh like nine eight or nine of us total back in uh early 2010 um went back to iraq wow they called it a uh i can't think of, wow i can't believe it can't it's remember. operation something um oh wow I can't believe I can't remember what I mean. It was. I've had a few friends do it. I just can't think. It was through uh, Troops First Foundation, Faraday's Troops First Foundation. Um, Okay. They did it, and they called it. It'll come to me. I just can't think of it. But we went back over there, and we went there for a week. You know, every day we uh, did like town hall meetings at different bases, or went to go see like soldiers at their outposts, and like visit and like even had a chance to like fly over like the area like where we got blown up or got hurt and all that stuff and that was like a cool thing like that kind of gave some closure because like a lot of us people that people that don't know um or never got wounded or anything or whatever you know they got you know a transition back at least you know an easy like i went straight from fighting to the next thing you know i'm waking up in a hospital and i'm in the states you know there was no transition. I went from like a mindset of combat to a mindset of I'm back home. Like, what what the hell am I yeah, supposed your to do? Now? Over. Yeah, my, yeah, pretty much my career's over or something. You know, like I didn't know. Like it was just such a weird time. Yeah, that's a, that's strange. Did that? Um, I'm really glad they flew you over that spot, by the mm-hmm. way, and then like drive you through. <laughs> no, <laughs> that might have provided the opposite <laughs> effect. All right, I buckle want... up, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all been to Mexico? <laughs> it's so funny because we actually we were doing um, me and uh, we were doing one of those uh, meetings. Where we met with you know like units, and we would do like our speeches and stuff, and pass the mic to each one of the guys. And uh, we were talking. Me and Omar did ours. Because, you know, me and Omar, we say we served on the same unit together with uh, 126 First ID. Okay. And um, we uh, we're, were doing a thing for a striker unit out there. And the next thing you know, you know, hey, I'm, you know, I'm Sergeant Jay Fane. I was in the Alpha Company, 126 First ID, Blue Spaders. And the next thing you know, I hear someone yelling in the back, oh, Blue Spaders. I was like, oh, awesome. That's someone was a Blue Spader here. <laughs> That's cool. And then after we got done with that speech um, or that meeting, it came up the guy came up to us and what 
I knew him as when we were in the unit. He was in. He was at that same deployment with us. He was wow. A, he was a, the HHC first sergeant, first sergeant Todd Sims. He is now. Uh, he's still in the army now. He is now the command sergeant major for. Uh, first army. Wow. Yeah, it's, that's it's wild. Man. That's where he's at now. Wow. But um, he was he was just an ops sergeant major for that unit when uh. And we're like, oh my god, Sergeant, or first sergeant. He's like, sergeant major now, you know. <laughs> and we're That's talking crazy. about. He's like, well, what you guys? I mean, what are you guys doing around? Like, you guys have plans or stuff? I was like, yeah, we're on strict schedules. Like, it's like you know, they had the strikers. Are like, hey man, why don't we go for a ride out? He's like, I don't have no problem with that. And then like, obviously, they wouldn't let us. You know, <laughs> like the the team and the foundation and the. Yeah, right. with us like no, no, we can't do that because <laughs> they were literally about to go out on like a patrol or something. I was like, hey, we'll ride with you guys. <laughs> that whole nonprofit gets shut down. Yep. <laughs> that would actually be terrible for that nonprofit if that went bad. Yeah. <laughs> you guys get killed on the mission. Yep, <laughs> like lose your other leg or something. Golly, man, what a shit. yeah, what a terrible thing. Um, so, so with. And that was helpful for you? Did you feel like yeah. that really so at the end provided of the trip, some closure? You know, we had our little meetings in AARs or whatever and all that and flew back home and, you know, we all talked about it and stuff. It was just like, oh, wow, okay, cool. You know, it was nice to go back and see it. Yeah. And, like, kind of have a nice slow transition back home and knowing that, okay, everything's good. Yeah. Because you know? when we went back there in 2010, it was not really much going on and the guys that were on the ground there weren't really getting into too much trouble too much things weren't happening and everything was so- somewhat safe and um so it was like nice to kind of see that because yeah. when i was there it was just like freaking bam wild wild west you know right yeah yeah what, what were those what was it like being there in those 11 months and like your first you know your first actions and like mm-hmm. being out on mission what was that like was that was that nerve-wracking for you or did you feel like i mean just like every, I'm going to get pretty much most every like infantry grunt soldier or whatever, like, you know, they join the army, they want to go to war. You yeah. Know, they're like, okay, this is what you want to do, you know? So it was like some, some excitement, some anxiety, some, all these different types of emotion, but it was like a lot of excitement. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, I get to be an infantryman at war, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, like the first like real like engagement or s- stuff like that when bullets start wasn't over and all that it was just like oh wow the adrenaline rush like you just yeah that rush you'll never get again you know in yeah. any way or shape or form you know and uh, it was I mean it felt good yeah to be honest you yeah. know it felt good because it's just like wow this is what I'm this is why I joined this is what I'm supposed to be doing yeah and um but then you know like when like bad stuff like people get hurt and die and all that then that's when reality starts kicking in you're like oh wow yeah i can't believe that happened you know? did you lose buddies while you were over there yeah yeah oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah who can you talk a little bit about those guys and your memories of them um, if you do have any well well my closest buddies i lost after i got hurt oh wow so i got hurt in june 26 2007 mm. um and I was back in the hospital, and then July eighteenth, uh, my whole crew, like literally my driver, my uh, my platoon sergeant, who was my, he, was, we were all in the crew, uh, in the Bradley crew together. My platoon sergeant, I was his gunner, and then my driver, my medic, and another guy, Gilmore, um, all got killed in one incident. Oh, jeez! Uh, wow. 
So the the closest guys to me, the guys I was with every day, literally, mm-hmm. all day long, out on patrol, died after while I was sitting in a hospital. You know, wow, helpless. Like I couldn't. Like it fucking sucked. Yeah. Like I was sitting there. Like I got the phone call from I can't remember who called me and told me, but I was, I was just fucking. I don't know. I was angry and like sad and like, fuck. Those were my guys. Like. Fuck, I wish I could have been there. Maybe things have been different. You know, all yeah. those thoughts run through your head when shit like that happens or whatever. Right. And that that really hit me hard and pissed me off really bad. Yeah. Uh, I can imagine, like, you know, you you don't have any sense of closure, really. And you're mm-hmm. sitting there in the hospital and, you know, minus one appendage and, like, dealing with all the things that you going through mentally of not mm-hmm. being able to finish that tour, right? And, like, yeah. that stuff. And then a few days later, you find out that your buddies are gone. Yeah. And Within a couple of weeks, some of my closest buddy, like I literally was just on the phone with him like the day before that happened to them. You know, saying my platoon sergeant was a really cool guy, uh, Sergeant Gutierrez. You know, he was uh, born in Mexico and then his family got uh, moved to uh, Bakersfield, California. Okay. And all that and had really deep Mexican accents. <laughs> it was when I first got to him, it was so hard to understand him. Yeah. But after a while, you get used to it and you yeah. understand it. But you know, he was a, and he was a single guy. You yeah. know, he was he was older. You know, he was thirty eight, and I was only twenty two at the time. He was like thirty eight or thirty nine or maybe forty or whatever. I don't know. Old school Ranger, E seven Mexican, smart, really good at PT. Yeah, yeah. all that stuff. <laughs> All but the he, army stuff. But he was he was a single guy and only, he always had little get togethers at his place and stuff and and um everyone loved him. He's just everyone gravitated towards his personality because he was such, such a solid good guy. Yeah. And uh, and he's like, Yeah, when we get back, you know, he always said, you know, he called everyone Sparky. You know, <laughs> he's like, Hey Sparky, when I get back we're gonna have a beer. I'm like, All right, hell yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and but then the next day or whatever I get that Jeez. That mess or that phone call, and uh, I was just like, "Are you freaking kidding me?" Yeah, IED. Yeah, it was an IED. A Brad, they were in the Bradley. Oh and, wow! Um, the IED was a deep buried IED that blew up underneath and flipped the vehicle, wow. yeah, and they were stuck. Wow, yeah. man! And so those guys that were killed, were they in the vehicle with you when you were hurt, or were you outside of the vehicle so when you got hurt? I was actually with a different platoon. Oh, okay. So at that time. I was actually on my way out. I was actually coming home for R and R. Oh wow! Out. So we we had an outpost in Baghdad, and what we had to what people had to do to go on R and R at that time, and literally I was I think I'm pretty sure, and I am fairly certain that I was literally probably the last unit in the whole task force, last person in the whole task force that went home for R and R. You know, everyone yeah. has already done bend on R. People who replaced me or people who were replacements that showed up. Uh, you know, a few months before that, or months after the deployment start, went on R and R before me, and I still haven't, I still haven't gone. But I, I'm fairly certain I was the last person to go on R and R. But anyways, um, so from the outpost in Baghdad, uh, we also had a battalion or a contingent of our battalion or headquarters were up in Taji, just mm-hmm. north of Baghdad. Yeah, I was in Taji, and um, and so that was a good like. 30 minute drive or something like that if there's no issues going up there and back right. uh, so we had to go up there I guess out process with the unit to come back to Baghdad to fly out of Biop and go wherever you know so we had to go even though Biop was right across the river from where our outpost was at you know we still had to leave to go to Tashi 
through the out process with the battalion, come back down. Oh, geez. Get on the helicopters and come down and fly, whatever. It was whatever. Yeah. Um, so that day I was, I was supposed to leave for Taji. Me and my PL were going on R&R at the same time. So me and him, we're, our, our, uh, and then so, and then every platoon they had, str- they had to stick to a patrol schedule and, and they did it to where one platoon could go up to Taji for like one day to just like kind of relax and refit and regroup. Cause that was like a break from being on our outpost and, and it wasn't our platoon's turn. Um, it was another platoon. Uh, we had a, we had a tank platoon, um, co- uh, attached to our uh, company and th- it was their turn to go up to, um, Taji at the time. So I just rode with them. So we just rode with them. We just get a ride up there with them and then do our thing. But leaving, that's when I got hit. That leaving with the tank platoon, leaving our outpost and going up to Taji, I got hit right before uh, we got on Tampa. Oh, wow. to, yeah. I got hit by an EFP, which ripped through my vehicle and obviously, like, ultimately suffered an amputation in my right leg. Almost killed me. Literally. Wow. And, uh, but that's, it was that time when I got hit. Wow. Um, was anybody else in your vehicle hurt? There, there were other guys in there. So there's quite a few slugs of BFPs that went through the vehicle, but none of them, luckily, they all missed anything. Yeah. Really. Um, from what my buddies or the guys that were in that vehicle were telling me, like there are just holes everywhere, and that almost like you know if they were like an inch or two one way, it would have been devastating. But it just missed everyone else. But um, wow. Um. No one seriously got hurt in that vehicle other than me. Mm. You know, they, I think guys might have got peppered a little bit with some shrapnel or got knocked out or something like that. But I was the only one that suffered any type of like serious injury in wow. that during that. What was the What was the last moment that you remember before that? You might have been asked this question a million yeah, times. Yeah. So, I mean, I know the route. We've been on it a gazillion times before and all that, and. I just remember making a turn, and we're on the other side of the river. We're in Katamia, other side of the river. We're going towards the gates of Baghdad on the north side, where Tampa's at, and where you turn and you go straight north into Taji. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember seeing all that. Been through the been been through the area plenty of times before. Nothing really ever happened there. And the next thing you know, like it's like I woke up into, or like I like I blinked my eyes, and everything was just different. Oh, I didn't wow. like hear an explosion. I didn't feel anything. It's like I woke up into a dream or something. It was just everything was different. I was like, what? yeah, I didn't realize what was going on. Yeah, it took me a couple of seconds or however long it felt like forever to be honest for me. But it probably was a matter of like a second or two. I just remember just like oh, after I really kind of came to and realized, oh man, we got blown up because I can hear smoke. I can hear like gunfire. I can hear like screaming. You know, mm-hmm. and then. I remember just looking over to my left because I was sitting behind the TC, behind the passenger. Yeah. I remember looking over to the left and I uh, looked at the guy behind the driver and he was fine. And then I looked at the gunner, uh, a buddy of mine, Eisen. Um, he was slouched over, like knocked out. You know, I remember, I think I I remember like trying to grab him or wake him up and see if he was okay. And then and the driver and the TC were fine because the TC, Sergeant Lopez, I believe, was yelling, like, everyone all right? You know, get this vehicle the fuck out of here and move it or whatever. I, I, something along those lines. Who knows? 
And then all I can remember is like, fuck, we just got blown up, man. And and I'm pissed. Like now my reaction is I'm fucking pissed. Yeah. You know? Like usually that's everyone's reaction when shit like that happens. Yeah. And so like all I wanted to do is just get the fuck out and so you know do my job you know make sure secure fucking shoot at bad guys or whatever you know i just wanted to get out of the fucking truck yeah i remember i couldn't because i remember i was like looking like because you know you sit with your rifle between your legs there in the vehicle i couldn't find my gun and i was like i can't latch the door i can't open it like i couldn't find shit i was like getting pissed and the next thing you know like i blacked out oh wow and um so you don't oh. even really remember feeling pain necessarily, no, no, no not at all. And um, well, that adrenaline system certainly worked. And then, uh, so Sergeant Lopez, the TC, uh, he said that when he was like doing his like, yeah, he said he was like yelling at the driver to move the vehicle or something like that. And he said that he was checking on everyone. And he said when he was trying to like you know check on me that all he that uh. He didn't hear any, or he, I might have responded, and then I didn't, you know. Then he heard, like, a really, like, loud grunt or pain, and then just, like, nothing. Mm-hmm. And he just, he said, no, he knew something was wrong behind him. Yeah. You know, and um, and the reason why, and then when they got out the truck to get me out, the reason why I couldn't open the door, because the door was, looked like Swiss cheese. Yeah. And uh, my gun was destroyed. That's why I couldn't find my gun. Oh, wow. But, uh and so he, they couldn't get me out on my side. They had to go to the other side of the vehicle and pull me over, like, the ammo cans and get me out of the truck on that side and do, you know, do what they can to save my life because he said he saw a lot of blood and all that stuff. Yeah. And, um, so when they got me out, I was laying on the ground, and then he said he could see, just see a lot of blood, just really a mess there. And then I was, like, in and out. Like, my eyes were open and closing. He said he would lay me down. He would just kind of just slap me in the face and keep me awake or whatever. And before the medic got there, and the medic um, couldn't stop the bleeding because it was so high. Yeah. There was no way to put a tourniquet up. Oh, wow. Because it was so high. Yeah. And that there's a huge hole in my hip or leg or whatever, that area. And so... As my buddy, as Sergeant Lopez explained it with the medic, Rob, uh, the medic's name Rob Souders, he he just did something. He said it's like he done it a million times before. Like he said, he said he never seen anything like it in his life. He said like met, Rob just literally pulled out a clamp and like just like found my femoral, was retracted into my groin, dug in there and clamped it and stopped the bleeding. You oh my know? gosh, wow. If he, if he didn't do that, I would have been dead in the street right there. Wow. And, um, Jeez. But from there, that was the whole transition from getting to an aid station. I still was dying because I was internally bleeding really bad. Yeah. Um, and then getting me to the Baghdad hospital was a whole other big ordeal because, like, helicopters wouldn't fly because the weather was really bad at the time, but a helicopter came anyways by itself to pick me up to get me to the hospital. Got to the hospital and my and my dad was there in Baghdad at the time. He was wow. he was working in Baghdad Jeez, as a contractor. What are the chances, man? So my dad just retired and he was in Baghdad working and he was only like only a couple miles down the road from where I was at. And uh, so my dad was at the hospital when I was there. Wow! And uh, the doctors, yeah, they're just straight up with like, we don't. Well, you prepare for the worst. We don't know. We have no idea. You wow. Know, this guy's, like, we've, he's already, like, gone down a couple times. We've had to bring him back a couple times, you know. Mm-hmm. And my dad, you know, 
uh, told me all that, but I guess I pulled through somehow or whatever. And uh, next thing you know, I woke up. Well, well, I guess my dad told me that. Um, well, they didn't have a blood to give me. You know, they didn't have my blood there to give me. Mm-hmm. So they had to like pump a lot of whole blood or something just to keep me somewhat alive until people like like a lot of people just ran to people that were O positive like donated a lot of blood that day just to give it to me and uh and then that uh if that if that didn't happen that was one thing that i possibly could have been you know i could have been dead but whoever did i'm not sure who or what people did that you know that's awesome you know but uh wow but my dad was I, he he called my mother and my mother was not in a good spot and uh and but I came through and the next thing you know I woke up and my dad's right there wow in the hospital in Baghdad and I was fine I mean I, I have vague memories of, of that mm. I remember waking up and seeing my dad and I remember waking up and seeing some people that were in my unit visiting me at the hospital and some things you know and probably a lot of that is because I was so drugged up too at the same time right. you know but were, were you were you pissed off when you first woke up, or were you frustrated, or what do you remember about those first moments that you can really remember? Well, oh, so I woke up and my dad was there. Um, there were probably more people in the room, but I probably was more focused on my dad being there. But he told me he was like, "All right, you know," he told me what happened and like what I like what my injuries were because I I didn't know. That was just he said like, "Yeah, you lost your right leg and." You have you're gonna wear be wearing an ostomy bag and freaking you got some burns or whatever, and then I just remember like I lost a leg, you know, or something. Like that. So I remember like picking up the sheets or something like that, yeah. and I looked down, and then, well, I was like, oh no shit, there's no fucking leg there, and it didn't bother me at first, you know. I was like, okay, whatever, you know. Like I I I remember remember seeing that it didn't bother me yeah. at all, to be honest. Wow, like, I didn't even. I was like, whatever. I was, I th- and then I think I asked my dad. I was like, well, how's everyone else doing? Like, well, what about what about my guys and you know stuff like that? that was like the most important thing to me at first, you know. Yeah. And he's like, everyone's fine. You're, you know, they're good. No one else got hurt really bad, and your friends are doing good. And some of them came already came to see you and left and all that. And I was like, okay, you know. And then I was like, and all I, and I remember saying, I remember what after that but i think it said something along the lines well i just well, let's just get home figure this out or something like that what were did you feel frustration through the rehab process or were you were you pretty committed to just getting back up i mean what was the hardest part about that well, getting the rehab process that's always an interesting process for any guys that been through that right you know um so our, i got to the hospital i did all my stuff at brook army it's San oh, Antonio. Okay. yeah you know? So did my surgeries and stuff and and all that and I was able to be an outpatient. I wasn't in the hospital long, maybe like three or four weeks. Okay. And um and I was outpatient status from there and then my mother can stay with me, help me out and all that and all I had to do from there is just make my appointments, do therapy or whatever. That was like a weird time, especially that first part first half of my therapy phase i guess because like I, I didn't really know what to do like all motion like that's what, like really my emotions really didn't hit me till i was out of the hospital and living out we we stayed at a guest at a guest house and um, that's when the emotions really hit me you know i was like oh fuck yeah now what you know yeah 
there was nights where I fucking couldn't sleep, cry, fucking yeah. be mad, sad, whatever, you know. I was like, oh fuck, now I, I, you know, that's when it hit me like I don't have a leg, you know. Yeah. Not when I was sitting in the hospital. Um. So I was like, whatever, you know, just gotta figure it out and therapy and all that stuff. Still, like, I still had to like, you know, I still had wounds and stuff, and you know, at that time, I still had, I had an Austin bag, you know, and I had to wear that for a few months until I can do the reversal. And, <clears throat> I didn't really, I wasn't like in like any type of motivational mindset and i wasn't really in any time i wasn't like in a like a sad depressed i was just kind of like a kind of like like i plateaued and i'm just like kind of going through the motions you yeah know, for for me at least yeah did you did, what was your mentality um once you started getting back up and getting after well you know were you mentally did did you feel like you got provided the therapy that you needed and did you feel like there was a good, you know, like you had people to talk to that really helped out during those moments. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So that, pr that time there was a lot of us, there's a lot of people, um, that were there. They're also like injured from war and all that. And that's, you know, that's when crispy was there too. We were there at the same time. So when we ran into each other there in San Antonio, we really kind of stuck with each other the whole time. So wow. it was good to have like a familiar face and friends and stuff there. Was he hurt before you or yeah. after? Okay. He's, before he's you. Hurt like a, like a, like a month before I was. Wow. And, um, and then there's other guys there that I knew and stuff. So it was just like, okay, there's some familiar faces and you know, they, and that time they had like some programs and stuff where people were there to help out guys like us and all that. So there, it was, it was set up to where it, you know, there, it wasn't just, we're just left out there in the wind to figure it out on our own. You know? Right. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I was, I was happy with it because yeah. I'm like, okay, everything I need is here and everything I, everything they can need to get back to somewhat of some kind of normality was there, you know, it was up to me to make that happen, which was the problem for a lot of other people, you know, it's, they, they didn't want to make that happen. They're just not in a good, not, not in a good mindset. Yeah. And which is understandable. Yeah. Um, what was the most important part of that for you and like getting back to it mentally to, to wholeness, you know, and, and, uh, you know, getting back into a good mindset? Well, well, there's the, like the PG version and, there's like, <laughs> and then there's like the real version to this story. I'll tell the real version. I like okay. the real version. <laughs> <laughs> Cause like people want to hear it. I can, I can, I can do, I can be like, Oh yeah, you know, man, just, it's all about perseverance and being motivated. <laughs> and that's where it was. And I just wanted to move on. There was actually a specific moment yeah. in time or during that time where I literally like, it was like a light switch that hit my head and I'll, and I'll tell that story right, okay. right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. About so this. me and like a bunch of my friends and all the other guys there that were like wounded, you know, they, all different types of injuries you know missing limbs burns blind in wheelchairs and crutches on prosthetics whatever all of us we all hung out you because know, we all did therapy and stuff together and always you know it's just like being like around the military and again talking shit to each other in the gym and all this shit whatever right but we all hung out all the time we went out drinking eating whatever that was just what we did mm -hmm. and we frequented the men's club you know okay. yeah. it was men's club there yeah and um and so we were uh we were there at the at the club drinking having a good time we had our table set up uh near the bar mm -hmm. um and just a bunch of us sitting around and then i'm sitting up at the bar because uh 
I was like, hey, let me buy this round. Let me get this first round for all of us or something like that. You know, let me, it's my turn to get this round. So I, and I was on, at that time, wasn't on a prosthetics or anything. I was just, you know, on crutches. Right. And, uh, so I crutch up to the bar, sat down on the stool, whatever, and asked the bartender, you know, like, hey, I need this amount of beers, these amount of shots, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and and from the bar into that table was maybe like not even 10 or 15 feet, you know? Yeah. I physically couldn't bring drinks myself 10 or 15 feet away from the bar to that table. I had, you know, I crutches, I'd get like a, a cocktail waitress and the bartender to help carry stuff over there like if i was free-handed i can do it all myself you know right that really fucking pissed me off that i had to get someone to help me bring some drinks 10 feet 10 feet fucking away yeah you know because i was on crutches and i couldn't do it myself that really annoyed the fuck out of me yeah that night wow really that's what that's what hit me it was that night you know that i couldn't fucking just bring fucking drinks from the bar to my friend sitting at a table 10 feet away. Yeah. So every, really right after that, everything changed for me. Therapy and how I really looked at getting on a prosthetic and walking and you know, becoming more serious about it was because of that moment. That seems like a pretty normal <laughs> army motivation. Couldn't even carry my drinks back 10 Cause, feet. Because <laughs> really before that, I really didn't think about it much. I was like, yeah, whatever, I'm fine. And, yeah. But then I was just, I just remember being annoyed not being able to bring drinks, something... 10 feet. I was like, I thought about, I was like, am I going to have to deal with that for the rest of my life? I'm going to have to ask a friend to help me do something. Yeah. I have to call a friend like down the street to help me move something 10 feet away into my truck in the driveway. No, I don't want that. I'll, yeah. I want to be able to grab a bag and fucking put it in my car and leave for the airport and not worry about getting help over something that simple. Yeah. You know? Obviously, there's things I'd might, I, I do need help with at times, but for the most part, I don't, I don't really need help with a lot of things. And, yeah. I wanted it to be that. I, that's how I thought about it when that happened that night. Yeah. I was like, I don't want to be relying on people to help me out with simple things. You yeah. Know? The 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 other version of that story was some young child who had their leg amputated, like came to you and was like, Jay, please help me make my <laughs> life whole again. <laughs> <laughs> that was the version Jay said he was going to tell at first. <laughs> <laughs> That is that is interesting though, man. Because when I'm around my friends that are amputees, I'm always mm-hmm. like very like hands off. Yeah, like I know because it's like I had one of those first experiences where I was like, "Let me help you out," and they almost yeah. swung their appendage at me, <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, I won't ever do that again," you know. But it, it is interesting, and I think I I just started thinking about it from my perspective of I don't know what that's like, of course, but I yeah. can imagine like I would not want to feel weak, and I would not yeah. want to feel like somebody had to help me in a simple thing. Mm-hmm. It's like you're not always going to be there, dude. It's yeah, not like you're exactly. Be like my you know my my wet nurse like waiting <laughs> around the corner, you know, like taking care of me. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to have to do these things myself. So mm-hmm. I can understand that mindset for sure. Um, now when you were getting out, like, and, and did you return home or did, where did you go from there? So medically retired and ETS and, uh, well, I got on terminal leave in like May or June of 08. So I was only there for not even a year before I was fully recovered and I did my like medical appointments to retire out. So it was June, June 08, my actual retirement dates in like July something. Mm-hmm. But uh, June 08, I was on terminal leave, signed mine, got my DD-214, whatever, and um, just started the cruise back here, just drove back home here, and mm. I didn't really have any plan when yeah. I got here. 
And yeah. then I just I just got back to my parents' house and that was it and didn't know what to do from there, man. Did you did you want to spend your life in the army? Did you picture that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. That's, you want to retire? I, I absolutely pictured that and just making a career out of it. But you know what I did know early on in my career in the army is that I did not want to be a grunt for twenty years. You know. <laughs> yeah. I, I knew those illusions quickly. Yeah. End. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I absolutely love my time. I love being a grunt. I love the guys I was with and all that. But, you know, I knew, like, when I was that deployment in Iraq, I was like, man, I don't want to just be a grunt the whole time. You know, this yeah. is, like, it's fun. Like, yeah, I loved it. You know, running and gunning, kicking doors in, whatever. But I was like, there's other opportunities out there in the military or something else I can do. I can move on from this. That's what I wanted to do. I didn't know. I didn't know what it was yeah. at that time. You do You do see some of the guys, that, and there are some guys that are able to keep up the pace, like the mm-hmm. really elite athletes. But you do see some guys where that's like... They just stuck around at the party too long, you know. Yeah, They're like that, you know, <laughs> creepy dude with, uh, you know, with the, with the, you know, hairline that's back about yeah. two feet, and they're like still looking at the girls, like the girls are gonna look at them the same way, you know. And you're like, dude, you're not keeping up really yeah. anymore, man. It's, war is a young man's game. Yeah, you know, as a great general once said, you know, like it's a true thing, man. And it's funny because. You know, and and there are those elite athletes that stay in mm-hmm. for a while. But I, I think the same thing happened. You know, my buddy Jeremy actually did a project on him way back in the day. But he did uh, both invasions. And, you know, he was, I think he was, uh, uh, I want to say he was 101st. Yeah. And, um, you know, he was an Operation Tapeworm, you know, the fight against Saddam's mm-hmm. uh, sons and all that. And, but there just came a point, man, where he's like, you know, I got to go admin or supply or something. My body's breaking all the time. And Mm -hmm. it's just not, I'm never going to make, you know, I'm never going to make Sergeant major if I hang out in the infantry for this much longer, you know, but there are those rare ones that do make it, you know, the Don McAllister's of the world stick around for a while and are successful. But what was it about being in the army that was just, so important to you why did you want to retire so badly oh just i come from a legacy of that you know a father grandfather uncles everyone you know they all did a career in the military and that was just something i wanted to do too as well and um, they all were quite successful at it and have led a good life through it you know and that's I just wanted to do the same thing my my the men in my family did yeah that's cool legacy yeah Mm -hmm. it's important so then what was the, you know, what was that reality like when you realized that wasn't going to be it? Was that crushing? Was I think, so at that time, there's some regrets I've had ever since the retirement. Like, I was like, man, I could have just stayed in and done something else. Yeah. But then, like, the appeal of just being out and being home and all that was uh, was more appealing to me at the time, which now I don't regret that I did that. You know, I really enjoy my life now. Yeah. You um, got a pretty sweet one now. Yeah. <laughs> got some pretty cool friends. Yeah. <laughs> Not including me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you do. I mean, you got a good life now, yeah. but in those moments, probably sure it was pretty yeah. hard. So like, it's just the regrets were early on of getting out. Like, I mean, I should have stayed in or I even thought like dabbled in and like thinking about trying to get back in and all that. And, Cause you know I still had friends that were in like doing some cool stuff or and all that, and I was like, man, I I can probably still be doing some cool stuff too, but you know all, all that that whole thing fizzled out, and I tried different things, and I 
now I'm here where I'm at, pretty much, you yeah. know, and I don't regret it, you know. You're enjoying your life now yeah. and all the things that have come. And mm-hmm. it, talk about talk a little bit about that, uh, about what you just did with Black Rifle out in uh, out in Utah. Cause oh, that was yeah. pretty cool. Oh yeah, the total archery challenge. You know, it yeah. was. Uh, I remember talking with Evan or some of the guys about it earlier this year. You know, they had this. They were telling me a little bit about the total total archery challenge and about you know shooting bow and I've you know. I've kind of dabbled into it before and I really enjoyed it, but never took it like seriously or anything like that. But I, I've always seen a lot of my friends and stuff talk about it and doing it. It's always appealed to me. I just never had the opportunity or chance or really just go, you know, take the time and go look into it. So I was like, oh, yeah, I definitely want to go do this. Yeah. Um. So we're out there, what, last month? Or, yeah. And uh, it's just set up like, you know, we got our bows and you just in the the whole course is you know it's pretty much like golf i guess you can go through your different lanes and different uh trails and stuff and shoot shoot at um you know the targets they had out there and really i mean yeah the shooting part of it was great and fun and all that but just being in the outdoors and out and you know with your like your close friends out in the mountains and all that and enjoying you know what we take for granted the earth that yeah. we live on sometimes like just enjoying that was so amazing yeah um, it's probably pretty valuable mentally too for mm-hmm. all that we're going through right now as a yeah. country to yeah. kind of come together and be in that same space as some yeah. of your brothers right yeah it was um so i mean it's just like with anything you know, there's a, there's that competitiveness, you know, with the other guys, you know, <laughs> yeah. a little bit of shit talking here and there and all that, but really it's just like just being together with your, with your brothers and, or your family and our friends and, you know, and just having a good time Yeah, and not thinking about, oh my God, man, mortgage due, I got to make sure I pay the bills this <laughs> month, you know, it's just, <laughs> just like with anything that we do that are our hobbies that we enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. That's, that's powerful and so you and they took you through an instructional period right mm-hmm. too where they before you got out on the course yeah we went to eastern archery center there and um it's like an olympic facility for olympic archery shooters and all that and they we got there and they surprised us with all this gear yeah you know this loadout of this amazing gear you know with backpacks uh, binos or whatever mm-hmm. and um that was amazing to see and then you know that's he told us about our bows, you know, the PSC bows, and uh, that we're going to be, you know, dialing them in while we're here. So we just, they kind of just paired us up with whoever that were that was like already like a subject matter expert in shooting a bow. Yeah. And we just went out there and just like just dialed in our bows and just shot for however long until we we're comfortable with our aim. And then that was it. And then the next day was a whole challenge up in the mountains. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool. What do you? What do you? What was your favorite experience about that? About that day when you're out there, just camaraderie. Yeah, I mean, just like you know, it was. We're all. It was me, Crispy, uh, Logan Stark, mm-hmm. um, uh, one of the other, uh, one of the, the other employees, Jess, and uh, Miss Crispy, uh, Omar's fiance. Okay, we're all in the same vehicle, riding up and around the mountains and stuff together, going to the different things and shooting what i really enjoy is just being around those guys you know yeah. i love me some logan man <laughs> you know obviously i love me some omar i've known him for a long time but i love me some logie you know yeah, yeah, yeah. but um <laughs> just 
just being together with them and just having a good time, you know, because we don't, we all don't really get to see each other much because everyone's always somewhere doing something. And right. That's what I really enjoyed a lot, you know. And then, yeah, the shooting the bow thing was awesome, you know, seeing the cool nature and all that. But being with those guys doing something like that together, yeah, was a lot of fun. And you all have pretty good senses of humor. Oh yeah. So that's <laughs> <laughs> we won't repeat any of this. <laughs> all the city, all the civilians are like, turn that off, turn that off. <laughs> oh dear lord. <laughs> no, they know it's too well by now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so. What do you think, you know, is most, where does that sense of humor come from? Because you've obviously got a pretty rampant <laughs> sense of humor. I mean, that's where I discovered you from. <laughs> like, people had talked about you before, and I'd, I'd kind of seen you around at some parties and stuff. I think, and, uh, you know, I think I'd seen you, I don't know, did you ever go to SHOT Show? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I probably yeah. saw you. I probably mm. saw you at, like, a Beyond Party or something like that back in the day. Uh, but I'd, I'd heard a lot about you and I, I believe that Michael Rodriguez had brought you up before. Yeah, good old Rod. Yeah, Rod's awesome. Yeah. I, I've talked about Rod in two <laughs> successive podcasts. This is going to become like the Rod fan club. <laughs> Nothing wrong that. He's a good dude. Yeah. <laughs> Rod's like, geez, he's a proposal. <laughs> When's your proposal coming? Um, but I, uh, yeah, he's, he's such a solid guy, but I remember him talking about you and then I saw you at, um, we were at the Halloween shoot that black rifle was doing oh they yeah were doing that that's right halloween shoot i was covering yeah. logan uh for the project mm -hmm. and um and i don't i don't really even think we really said much to each other but then like i was like i see i keep seeing this guy <laughs> and then and you're pretty quiet like in person like yeah, i'm always you, chill around yeah. but there's just, just plenty of people around that does enough talking <laughs> definitely i'm just sitting there <laughs> I, i'm a people watcher yeah. you know yeah i mean i'll socialize and like talk shit and you know with with the best of them, but like for the most part, there's in those crowds. There's always enough people to do enough yeah. talking for everyone. There's <laughs> definitely some extroverts in that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think Matt was like dancing around with, yeah. a, uh, with a pink smoke grenade. <laughs> My president was just looking at him. He was like, "This is the extrovert group." <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was uh, I I so I didn't really talk to you, but then I kind of looked you up after that, and uh, I was like, "Oh my god, this guy's hilarious!" <laughs> like I didn't know this about him. Like <laughs> there was just a quiet Asian guy that was standing over there like <laughs> hanging out you know and then like all of a sudden i'm like oh this guy's hilarious and i think i sent you a message and i was like oh, yeah this stuff is so funny <laughs> i remember my first interaction with you is like oh this guy is so nice like because i i think i was talking to you i was like oh you're on private and i really wanted to post this video and you're like oh i'll send it to you dude yeah <laughs> he sent it to me it was that vietnam one yeah where you're having like a flashback <laughs> I have my moments, man. Every <laughs> once in a while, I'll come up with some good stuff, but then also have, like, I, I've, like especially when it comes to social media. Um, like, there'd be times where I'm like, all right, I'm really active on it, busy on it. Yeah. But then, like, I go through times where I'm like, all right, I just need just a personal break from it. Yeah. Like, the last few months, or last couple months or so, really has been that break because, like, I was just on it too much and, like, yeah. But during that time, I was like, I was like, I was on a roll. I was like, oh, I have some good stuff I can put out. I'll just make some stuff, and I, you know, I enjoy that. I enjoy doing that, you know. And yeah. The humor comes from I don't know, just I don't, I don't. I mean, I don't. I just like to make fun of people that take things so seriously. <laughs> yeah. And, and make and lighten up that situation a little bit. Yeah. You know? 
just have humor with it, not take it so seriously. Like, all right, guys, relax. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't get more serious than almost dying. You know, in mm-hmm. your in your own pool of blood. Yeah, like, you know, like <laughs> I know what serious looks like, yeah. guys, and this is not it. Yeah, you know, like or it could be serious, and we can make fun of it. Yeah, it's okay. Exactly. Like at the end of the day, you either laugh or you cry, right? Yeah. And like we're gonna choose to laugh. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a great thing about the army is in the military in general. You know, treats it teaches you a pretty good sense of humor yep. for most guys at least the guys that you're going to get along with like, yeah you know they all have pretty good senses of humor uh but you know I, I i think when i saw your when i was first started watching your videos i was just like oh this is guys really creative <laughs> were, were you creative growing up did you or you know were you into the oh, arts at all i think just the way i grew up because you know i told you i was a army brat right and I moved around my whole life and you know, through that. So you had to have uh, a sense of humor about yeah, life. Yeah, I just, I'd, I've been through and had friends and, you know, been around all this different diverse group of people and cultures mm-hmm. all over the world as a young person. And that's how I always grew up. You know, I never was really like in um, my last high school I went to, my junior and senior high school up in Illinois. Um, I wasn't like, you know how the high school subculture and all that is, like, it's real clicky. People stick yeah. with their groups, you know, the jocks, the nerds, the whatever. You know, I'd never really had, like, a group. Yeah. You know, like, I wasn't, like, just a jock. I wasn't just, like, a nerd or I wasn't just, like, a whatever. You yeah. know, I was, like, I had friends in all the groups. Yeah, you know? yeah. Because um, that's just how I grew up, you yeah. know. Like, there was no, like, distinction between, like, no one cared about like what race you were, what gender you were, what religion you were, whatever. Growing right. up in that in the army in an army brat world, because everyone was all different. And, yeah, and we all just got along. We're all just friends, and that's how I always was. Um, that's interesting. Where you experience that break in like societal things mm-hmm. that matter to people, you know, like yeah. you don't experience that. Yeah, in I didn't. Army. I didn't grow up in one town or an area. Yeah, you know, where I can just, you know, have the same friends my whole life and, um, you know, follow one sports team or, you know, have one college that I like or whatever. You know, I just, I've just been all over. I don't even have a favorite color, man. I just <laughs> like whatever, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Freaking. Whatever appeals in the yeah. moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, um, because people think it's, people, some people has asked me this question, like, oh, you know, like, what do you think about, or, Who's your favorite team? What's your favorite? Or like, what? I, like, I don't really have anyone, you know? Yeah. Like, well, where are you from? I was like, well, I'm not really from anywhere. You know, <laughs> I live in South Carolina. Well, where'd you grow up? I was like, well, I kind of grew up a lot. Well, where were you born? I was like, well, I was only there for three years. I don't remember none of that. Yeah. Where I was yeah. So really, I, you know, so sometimes it like mind blows people that I don't have like a one thing. Right. One team. You have one no whatever. tie downs or affiliations. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, which people, um, if they were in that world, would realize is actually pretty common so in it. Yeah. I, I, I guess I, me and like me and my sister, we you know, with that, we were blessed to have like a, a diverse way of thinking and growing up. Yeah. You know, so it's not just a one track mind on just one subject or something. So maybe that's where that stemmed from yeah. with the random humor with little things, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. every, it's so funny because every, uh, video that you posted has like resonated with me personally. And I think <laughs> it's all just because it's like the, it's kind of just like the, 
you know, a little bit of that middle finger to the world as far as like what else is going on. Like, (laughs) let's just laugh a little bit. Let's rib each other. Let's have some fun. Like, we don't have to be so serious all of the time because that's all you're getting in the 24 hour news cycle is serious, serious. serious, Everybody's dying. You know, we're all going to hell. Like, you know, (laughs) it's and so to see that humor is really very awesome. Talk a little bit about you. You got painted um in a pretty special book mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> by a pretty by by a guy that you probably respect a lot um you know president george w bush mm-hmm. created that book portraits of courage yep. which i believe has sold more uh, editions than any other art book has I ever sold so. yeah um that's pretty incredible and uh you know big we have to commend him for that you know for recognizing the sacrifices yep. under his um i almost said regime but that's dick that's a dictator <laughs> <laughs> under his regime. <laughs> Jeez, Joseph Stalin, much? My God, calm down, Tim. Um, but like, you know, what do you? What was that process like for you? When did you find out that you were going to be in that book? So back in 2012, um, I I participated in one of his because he has that bike. Oh, he has a uh, that bike ride and a golf tournament every year. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he does that a one hundred k warrior bike tournament and the golf tournament thing. Right. And um, I applied for the golf tournament because one of my buddies, um, um, was a Secret Service agent on his detail or in where he's at, had texted me because he he he's like, hey man, I know you like golfing. President, the boss has this thing where they're doing like you know a, an event for. Wounded Warriors, um, I like to play golf. You see, he told me about it, and I looked into it. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll sign up for it. Yeah. And it's an application process. You know, you sign up, and you got to give him, like, your, your handicap, not just your disability, but your actual golf <laughs> handicap. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, like, you got to send, like, paperwork to, you know, say you're a legitimized, you know, veteran, wounded guy, and all this stuff. Right. And, um, and they choose you don't, you don't you can't just apply and then you you're in the tournament they have like a whole team a, a process of how they choose whoever and I got chosen that year to play in the tournament and played in the tournament had a good time didn't do well but had a good time anyways <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I actually did I did like crap that tournament I did not play my best no. and um but whatever. It's a lot of had pressure, a lot of though, like playing around like <laughs> yeah. the president that he sent you to war. Like, <laughs> it's a lot of pressure. <laughs> it was still a lot of fun, you know. But whatever, um, good experience. I actually got to do it two other, two more times after wow. that. Wow, and um, that's awesome. But uh, did you do better those two other times? Yes, yes, I did. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Significantly. Yeah. The third one, Bush yeah. did you, is like, I guess you can be in the book. <laughs> the first time, hell no. <laughs> well, that actually, that first time was more promising because like, we had the practice rounds and all that before we actually played the tournament. My pra- I played a great practice round. I was like, oh, man, I might, I might do good. Yeah. yeah. When it came to the actual tournament. Bad, (laughs) not good. (laughs) Yeah, as me and my buddy, one of my good buddies, say, "Man, bro, you shit the bed on that one, dude." (laughs) (laughs) Yep, (laughs) it was not good, (laughs) but um, still fun regardless the experience and everything. Yeah. Uh, So, how I became to be part of that Portraits of Courage initiative 
was uh so once you apply and do one of the either the bike tournament the bike ride or the tournament the golf tournament you become part of the team 43 alumni mm, and okay. um that's how president bush like chose who because there was a lot you know more than what's painted in the book that's participated in these events um I think it's a total of like sixty six different people that he painted and like ninety nine different paintings or whatever. Wow! In this book, uh, he did it all within like a year and a half time frame. Jeez. Um, so of those sixty six, I can't remember and don't quote me on this. And uh, I think the people that were chosen to be um, painted were people that served during his administration. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Um, served and got wounded, or maybe served during his administration, or something like that. Yeah. Something along those lines. I, I I can't remember exactly off the top of my head. Yeah. But um, when the book was coming out, you, you know, would they still keep up with all of us, like emails or you know, we have there's like a private like group uh, page on Facebook, and and every day like they'll the 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 team and you know the president sends cards every year for like christmas and That's shit cool. like that you yeah. know and um so i got an email when did this happen 2015 um i can't remember exactly but it, it, i got an email from the from this team there and they said hey um the president is doing they, they weren't like real specific about it at first cuz they're still trying to keep it under wraps the president is doing a thing where he's using your photo and like a painting and like, but in order for him to publish, they need you to sign off on it. Yeah. You know, so it can be legitimized and you know, not, they're not just using me without my permission type deal. Right. And uh, so I did. And next thing you know, that's when they told us like, Oh yeah, he did this painting mm. paintings of everyone. And he's doing this book, not just cause he just wanted to paint and put out a book, but it was a thing for, it was a couple of different things for him. It was like a therapeutical thing for him. Yeah. You know, he wanted, he really enjoyed and wanted to learn how to paint and he hired some people to help him out. And, and just for a year and a half, he's, he's doing another one right now of, uh, I think refugees or immigrants. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. Um, I had to, I have to look, I can't remember, but he's doing this book portraits of courage. And the whole purpose of this book was to put out, Obviously, our stories and what everyone's doing, like our amazing stories of like, you know, of like, you know, recovering and, and all that. But really, it was really to help, you know, teach or learn or the initiative of helping the big problem now with, with, with veterans in transition yeah. to the civilian world. That was really the whole point of the book, to help that because they have that whole initiative there at at the Bush Center, and it was really to help with that initiative, yeah. you know, to help veterans transition out and all that, and that was the whole point of this book, to bring in light, awareness, and all this type of stuff for that, you know. That's pretty special, mm -hmm. yeah. Were you were you honored to be a part of that? Is that? Was that something that you were really excited about? Yeah, I didn't really grasp the whole gravity of the situation <laughs> until... Uh, <laughs> They, you know, the, they displayed the portraits for the first time at the, at the Bush Center right there, the, right there in Dallas, right there at the, the SMU campus, whatever. Yeah, I've been over there. And um, 
and I'm there, you know, just me and some of the guys are painted in the book. Uh, we're all standing by our paintings, and there's just waves of, like, media and people and all that talking to us. We're doing interviews, and all. I was like, wow, this is... It's kind of a big deal. Yeah, yeah <laughs> a really big deal. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it was... After that, I was like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah. yeah this is some... some I mean... Something to be, yeah, proud of, to be part of, you know. Like, yeah, that's pretty, pretty freaking cool. Something I can tell, like, my family in the future. Yeah, yeah. You know, they could see that for the rest of their lives, type of thing. You know, or that'll be that that'll be something out there forever. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, it's maybe the most successful art book of all time, mm-hmm. dude. That's massive. I mean, and you guys deserve that, of course. But I, I think that it is. It says something about the character of a person to yeah. recognize and own the sacrifices that are made under their rule, you know, under the mm-hmm. time that they're in office yep. and to really, you know, paint and, and, and make sure and that the, no, make sure that those guys know they're being acknowledged mm-hmm. uh, for what they did on the yep. ground over there, because it's, it's a lot easier to, to send somebody and not in kind of, you know, disconnect yourself from that. Yeah. And to actually, yeah own the action mm-hmm. and i mean I, I think that's true leadership mm-hmm. you know what a as you know as you were going forward you know in in life and in moving forward where was that place of peace for you that you kind of found uh you know some some semblance of peace after you know that loss and after being wounded what what was it do you remember was it you know your network of friends or was it just various things that brought you that or you feel like that's still a process right now, even finding some normality. Yeah, peace. yeah. That's, I mean, it's been thirteen years, man, and yeah, and yeah. There are times where I still somewhat struggle with that. You know, uh, anyone does, whether they got wounded or not. If they yeah. did any time in the military, you know, they they, they struggle. You know, because really, you go you go from a mindset of of uh, like being a hardcore badass or whatever you're mm. responsible for millions of dollars worth of stuff responsible for a lot of people in their lives or whatever yeah. to nothing yeah and um and nobody cares really and nobody really cares they're just like all right cool you know yeah. and i identified that very very early on because of my experience growing up as a military army brat you know i knew that's how it was yeah um but a lot of guys and girls, you know, they don't. You know, yeah. they they just can't turn that switch off. Yeah, you know, that they that switch is constantly on, even after they've been out for years later. Um, but I identified that early on and knew that I had to do something different. Yeah, you know? but I just didn't know what yet, and I dabbled into going back to school for mm-hmm. a little bit. I did that. I really did not enjoy it. <laughs> I did well. Grades are great, but I just hated school. Yeah. And, and um, what was it that you hated about it? Was, were you in a classroom environment, or were you? Doing yeah, I went it to the classroom yeah. and all that, and uh, I just didn't like it. And uh, I really didn't know what I one of the biggest biggest problems with not liking is I had no idea what I wanted to do. Still, right? You know, I didn't. I was just going to school, just going through the motions and like doing the school thing. I still did not know what I wanted to like, because you know you, you've been hammered your whole life growing up, and especially when you get into high school, oh, go to college, 
choose a major. You have to do it. That's what you need to do. Yeah. I didn't know. You know, like, so I was like, why am I still doing this? I'm just wasting my time. There's other options out there. And, you know, I kind of fell into, like, doing some uh, contract work. Yeah. And it didn't work out after the, there was, like, some kind of government shutdown or something like that that happened. And yeah. All the contracting and everything just. Yeah. And um, and then I got into this, working with this prosthetics company, the, uh, the prosthetic that I'm wearing now, like working with them as like a patient advocate or oh, patient wow. model. I did that for a while. And I still do stuff with them now every once in a while. Yeah. But. Did you enjoy that? Yeah. It's fairly fun. Especially when I'm, you know, uh, uh, they use me as like a, a, a you know, the, the engineers will actually want to use me. I go out to their global headquarters in Iceland. Oh, and wow. test out product and new stuff or whatever. And that's actually kind of fun. I get to go to Iceland and, then, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and see what's out there, what's coming next, you right. know? And there's always something cool or concept coming up in the future that I get to see that no one gets to see yet. And so that's, that's kind of fun. And then when I was doing like the patient modeling or whatever, they call it product champions with the company. Yeah. Um, I got to meet, a lot of people across the country and even the world similar to my me i, I mean they, they might not have been like veterans so they could just be regular you know you know civilians that got hurt in an accident or cancer or diabetes or whatever yeah. reason i got to help them out you know in wow. some way like show them like how my setup is and how uh, what could how they can benefit or what, what i can help them yeah you know? and still to this day I get messages on Instagram or something like that from random people all over the world asking about, hey, I saw a video, I saw a picture of you, or someone sent me this, and I'm in a similar situation. What can you help me with? Mm -hmm. You know, and I I answer those all the time and message them and send them links or like if I can link them with people that know more, I do it, or um or even like I'll get messages from people that are like the wives of a husband that just got into a motorcycle accident wow. and they want to help out their husband because he doesn't know what to do and whatever. Yeah. You know, that, I think that's pretty freaking awesome. Yeah. You know, that's, <laughs> that's got to provide some middle yeah, fulfillment. If there's, if there's something great about social media is that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think Hel- it helping th- anybody, not just veterans, you know, helping just people in general that are in rough spots. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Do you, do you feel like that? Do you feel like that provided some closure in a way? Do you feel like yeah. that gave oh, yeah. you some? Like, yeah. I busted my ass to be where I'm at now. You know, like, you know, so, you know, so my amputation's all the way up to the hip. Mm. You know, it's wow. not a common amputation because uh, a lot, a lot more amputations you'll see really are kind of at least a unilateral, just a single amputation. You know, usually you'll see just a below the knee amputation or above the knee. You won't see much people just all the way up to the hip, you know. Yeah. You know, I don't have a femur or nothing. Just all the way gone. gone. And in that situation, it's when it comes to like the prosthetic fitting and those devices and how how they work is a little bit more complicated because there's another joint and how the socket fits on the body is – it's a whole process. It's really fairly uncomfortable because it's always like wrapped around your body and all that. But I learned how to, you know, just kind of slim that down and figure out what's the best for me at least. Yeah. And 
through those experiences and like learning that and meeting people across the country that are like subject matter experts in this field of prosthetics and whatnot and still having those connections, I can help people across the country. Now I can do the same thing from doing from what I have from me figuring out what to do for myself. I can do the same thing, helping these people out. Yeah. I never really realized that until these people started messaging me out of nowhere. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> and cause a lot of people at my amputation level, I mean, they might wear a prosthetic, but it'd be in certain cases, you know, just maybe just a transfer or walk a little bit, but they don't, uh, or what you'll see most cases, um, is they'll be on their crutches or wheelchair or something. Right. Like that. Yeah. yeah. Cause it's just easier to move around quicker. It's more comfortable or, or whatever the case is, or they don't want to deal with trying to wear a prosthetic and nothing wrong with that at all. There's times where I don't wear my leg. Like if I go to the beach or something like that, or going to the pool but um i'm i'm an advocate of like trying to wear your prosthetic device and being as independent on that than rather using a an assisted device like a wheelchair or, or crutches if you don't have to right you know? yeah that makes sense do you how much have you seen the technology change in the past 13 years <laughs> crazy man <laughs> i mean they had me on a wooden peg at first <laughs> <laughs> i mean when i first got you know, so they had some good stuff, you know, they had some good devices and and all that, but it wasn't as good as what it is now. Like, yeah. Then they had, you know, they had some microprocessor like prosthetic knees that were good. Um, and when it came to actual the prosthetic hips, like the technology for a hip device. Yeah. It was not there back then. Um, they just, and a company came out with a really good like hydraulic hip joint that I wear. Mm. That is great. Yeah, is that the noise I hear when you when you're walking? Is no, the, the noise thing? is from the prosthetic knee. It's from the motor in the knee. Oh, okay, wow. You know, there's a harmonic motor in the knee that actuates during the flexion and extension wow. phase. Wow, yeah. <laughs> is that is how much easier is it since you when you first start? I mean, obviously a combination of experience and mm-hmm. all that and technology put together. But how much is it easier is it now that you're much more used to it with technology yeah with the technology yeah, yeah. it's a, a lot easier yeah. and before it was easy but the technology wasn't there right to be to have to be as stable or as secure or that comfortable walking for at least distance or if i'm like holding something in my hand or something like that yeah now it's a lot more secure and stable and stronger mm-hmm. yeah how much, you know, we talked a little bit about the mental side and, you know, and, you know, in the, in the things that we do, uh, daily, you know, now that we're out, uh, to, you know, kind of heal from that and like, you know, what reintegration is like and what it's like to get out. What do you think if you were giving advice to somebody that was coming through a situation similar to yours, what do you think you would tell them first as far as adapting to that obviously everybody's different but Mm -hmm. what do you what would you talk to them about first as being most important in healing yeah well really the the sole most probably important thing about healing with any type of injury or is you know getting your mind right yeah you know the mindset you know that's a big thing because if like you could be a physical specimen but you're a depressed dude. You're not going to want to do anything and you're not moving anywhere. You got to 
get into that mind that that state of mind of like, all right, this is what I need to do and like to be successful. Yeah. And you can apply that to anything in your life really. Or everything in your life. Yeah. And that's that's getting that first because like because if you're like you could you could easily just sit there and be in a pity party mm-hmm. and people will will help will will like you know be like feel bad for you and like and do all that but that's not going to get you anywhere yeah you know, you're just going to be stuck on that and never move on yeah so whatever you got to do to get your mind right to get you going is probably the most important thing yeah and to stay focused on that do you, do you have a lot of people still that kind of give you the stare or, you know, look at you, you know, in the civilian world, you know, when you're walking along or when you're dealing with a certain issue? And did that bother you at first or? That happens every day. I'm yeah. so used to it now. <laughs> yeah. You know, just, it doesn't even bother me. But yeah. um, did at, it at first? At first, like, I don't know if it really bothered me at first. You don't strike me as a guy that feels bad for yourself all too often. <laughs> I remember like seeing that stuff and like the, the people that have bothered more is like my friends that were with me. Yeah, you know they're yeah. like, oh, they're staring at you. I was like, who cares, man? Yeah, does it really matter? Yeah, <laughs> like, you don't normally see a guy walking around <laughs> yeah. on a robotic. Leg. It's like if I was like no legged and I, or if I was like fully fully able bodied and I saw some dude walking around with like prosthetics on, I'd probably look too. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, but like, well, it's still just rude. I was like, yeah, I understand, but like, yeah. they're they don't mean to be. Yeah, you know, right. I try to like how I try to think about things, especially when it comes to like any that type of situation. I was like, let me be in that person's mind right now. Yeah. See what what are their what are the thoughts going through their head? You know, there is there is a strange sense of entitlement I think amongst veterans where we almost you feel like. Mm-hmm. It, it, like we deserve some amount of respect yeah. or we and and whether or not that's true and i i think you should respect the sacrifices of those who've made sacrifices and those definitely who've made the ultimate sacrifice yeah but i, I feel like there's this kind of weird thing that we do where we almost self-sabotage where we're like mm-hmm. a civilian needs to feel this way or they need to not look this yeah. way or they need to not do this and it's like guys when we joined we were the most like non-picky people in the yeah. world like we, we literally like somebody gets offended like you punch them you know yeah. like don't be offended at that dummy you know and then we turn into like a lot of us when we we get out you know we kind of turn into babies it's like yeah. you know where we get offended about like every little thing so that perspective is very valuable that mm-hmm. you had you know where you can kind of point that back and be like yeah man if i saw this i would probably look too like yeah. it's not somebody trying to be rude to me they just they've never seen it before and i was always taught as a kid not to stare but i, I think a lot of people probably aren't taught that nowadays yeah. so it just comes down to general manners you know no, it's the way you're raised yeah you know, exactly that, how any of that how anybody that served and gets out and how they act, it's really a product of how they raise, not their time in the military. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't there that too where like we talk about the I talk about this often with my buddies, but it's like the military's not gonna like make you a good person. No. <laughs> like no. I, but I think there's that general like thought. 
you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you see it on the recruiting commercials and stuff. <laughs> the guy's, like, wearing his class A's and he's coming back to his community. <laughs> and he's, like, you know, handing out flowers to all the women. Yeah. And, like, you know, like, <laughs> I'm back. He's now Captain America. <laughs> yeah. But before that, he was a complete D-bag yeah. and, like, hated life and would always <laughs> make fun of, you know, every everybody that was, you know, handicapped. Like, yeah. now all of a sudden he's a good dude. <laughs> it doesn't happen that way, you no. know? <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, that that whole veterans being like assholes, pretty much. It's they were assholes before they were in the military. Right. Anybody that uses the, their time in the military as an excuse for their behavior like that, yeah, can piss off because that's more than likely a hundred percent not true. Yeah, you know, I can guarantee you, whoever those those people, if I go back to their childhood or friends I grew up with, I can ask them and talk to them. Like, yeah, he was a fucking dick too when we grew up. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. Oh no, don't you worry, it's not you, it's yeah. him. <laughs> he was always this way. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny because I was talking about that with Bert a little earlier mm-hmm. today. Bert Soren from Sornex, and he was talking about you know it's like. You know, I need your I need your best day now. Like I appreciate your service and I respect that. Yeah. And if anybody knows Bert, they know he loves the military oh, yeah. and he loves veterans. He's like, it's nothing personal, but guys I've brought into the company as veterans, they've either worked out or they haven't, just like yeah. everybody else. Like, you know, you may or may not be a fit for this company, but I, I can't. It's not my job to care about what you did in the past when it comes to this company. Like it's yeah. about what you're doing today. Yep. What are yeah. you doing for the company today? And he's like, and in that way, it's like we're always keeping us at our best. Yeah. Like we're always working for betterment. But, you know, we talked about getting locked into the past and, you know, how some guys are just like living there. Yeah. Like they, they, they their last mission go. was their best day. Yeah. You know, like they can't let it go. Yeah. It's like John Rambo <laughs> <laughs> without being badass, <laughs> being way less cool. <laughs> you know? They do first blood. <laughs> I mean, imagine it's, if we all It's never them. over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I and, and see part of me has like a massive amount of compassion for that guy. Yeah. Cuz I have some friends that are that way dude, mm-hmm. and they're going to hear this podcast and probably hate me after. Uh but you know, it, I do see a lot of that where there's, you know, guys are kind of in that mindset and they just can't get out of it. Yeah. Like it's not civilian's job to, you know, and this is the weird part where I kind of wane between being an artist and having an opinion because in the Veterans Project itself, I never speak out on my thoughts about yeah. any of this stuff. But as I'm talking to you younger guys who are in my class, I find myself mm-hmm. more opinionated and yeah. saying stuff like, <laughs> yeah, stop being, you know, entitled piece of crap. Yeah. You know, it's like, but, but, but I think we can agree. I don't think that's an, I don't think that's wrong of me to have an opinion in that area. I think that's just something that I don't like to see, you know, yeah. like I don't, what what I hate for the civilian community is to see us as entitled. Yeah. Is to see us as something other than what we're not. I want them to view, I, I'm fine with them viewing us as heroes. And when I see one of my buddies acting up, like in some group or something, I'm just yep. like, come on, dude. That might be the only time they see a veteran. Yeah. And then you're acting like that, like a baby. And this yeah. person just thinks it you're... Makes everyone else look bad. Yeah. It's yeah. like, that guy went to combat? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't even think that guy can tie his shoes. You know? like, <laughs> like, that guy was over there fighting for me or, you know, fighting for whatever it is. Like, in, you know, in going over to combat for the country. Like, yeah. that 
that gives us that leaves a lot of people with a bad taste in their mouth, you know. See, problem is people don't like I said like I said early on, people don't know how to turn off that switch, man. They can't close that chapter in their life and move on to a new one. Yeah. yeah I it took me a little bit. Well, it, yeah, it took me a little bit to figure that out mentally. I I always knew it, but it took me a little while to figure that out mentally. When I did, my life got so much better. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there were times early on when I first got out like, yeah, I'm Combat infantryman. Mm-hmm. I went to war and lost a leg. I'm a hero. Blah blah blah. You know, the, yeah. Everyone kind of goes through something like that. Yeah. But I figured out early on, okay, that no one really gives a fucking. It doesn't really matter, dude. Mm-hmm. Jay, get over yourself. Yeah. Close that chapter. Move on. Figure something else out. Yeah. And um, it's a lot easier said than done. Sometimes. Yeah. Oh you yeah. Know? I I do have a sense of compassion and empathy for guys like that, but at the same time, it's like. You cannot possibly, you know, what's the saying nowadays? Live your best life, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to use to oh use a cheesy God. white girl yeah. saying, um, you know, possibly live your best life until you and until you adopt the ideal that's that was that chapter mm-hmm. and that chapter is over. Yeah. And you know what? Maybe that was my best moment in life. Maybe it was, but we'll see. Yeah, and another thing people should or veterans are that should try to get out of it. Like, obviously don't forget those, that moment no, in time. Yeah. It really was an important time. And anyone that serves life, you know, what, what can I learn from that? What positivity can I come out of? Can I pull out of that and use that for the rest of my life? Yeah. You know what? Cause a lot of opportunities you get in the military, you don't get in the civilian world. Right. You know? So like people can learn from their experience. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Regardless of what it, was what type of experience it was but there's always there's there's a lot that i've learned during my time in the military that i that i really adopted um to my life now yeah you know so it's just and and then but the mindset i changed yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i mean it's true and that that's something else that uh that bert and i were talking about earlier was taking those intangibles Mm -hmm. and making them a part of your repertoire you know like you I think we get caught up in the fact of the tangibles too much, you know, like, yeah, the infantry is probably not going to prepare you, as Bert said, unless you're going to be like a long range weapons instructor, you know, like <laughs> being a sniper is not going to prepare you, you know, for, for your civilian job. Yeah. But what's going to prepare you is the attention to detail, mm-hmm. the timeliness, the respect, the honor. Mm-hmm. And we are taught those things. And so if you carry those things forward, yep. you know, you can live a pretty good life yep. just through modeling those intangibles yep so well jay i mean it's been a pr- absolute privilege to have you on man and uh i appreciate the friendship you know because yeah. I, I i need my laughs, laughs when i'm going dark on the road yeah. i just send you a message <laughs> ask for the latest video yeah. <laughs> and then if you don't have one i curl I need, up in a puddle of tears <laughs> <laughs> i need to start putting some more out or thinking of something yeah, it's it's hard though, man. You don't want to like push that creative. No, process. I don't. I, I'd rather it come naturally. Yeah, you know, not just try to force that. You know? No, exactly. Yeah, it's 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 kind of. I find myself in a weird world sometimes with my art and my work that I'm doing. And by the way, I'm petting his golden retriever. Right now, <laughs> I love. He's now a big fan of mine. Uh, obviously, I think just because I'm a pet him. Yeah. Um, but you know, one of the things that I think about often is you know, within, uh, the project is like, I, I, I sometimes when I, it's not that I hit mental blocks. 
it's more that just sometimes it's just better to just sit and think on it. Yeah. And it's not, I don't really need to have that introduction. I mean, I know there have been times where I like hit a time crunch and I'm like, I kind of have to have this project out by Wednesday, but do I really have to yeah. have it out by Wednesday or yeah. am I just setting that up as like a, as something, you know, some obligatory, like time date stamp that I need yeah. out by. If I'm going to force an introduction, it's not going to be as good yeah. and do that guy as much honor. Do I really want to put that out? And so, like, I think it's important, even with, you know, humor and comedy, it's like, if I, if I, if I don't feel like being funny, I'm not going to be funny, yeah. you know? <laughs> so the creative process can't be rushed, man. <laughs> nope. I know that. So, you know, what, what about, what about that pain and management was, was so difficult? Because I'm sure you were in pain. Yeah. Pretty significant amounts of pain. And can you talk a little bit about that? I mean... I mean, with pain, it's all relative, I guess. You know, some people, I mean, they they might be in more pain than I was, even if they just had a below knee amputation or whatever. Right. But regardless, you know, the, the military or whatever had us all in like the kind of kind of a same or standard like pain protocol, mm-hmm. if you want to say. They give us whatever Percocets or whatever as to try to manage whatever pain we were in. And I learned uh, early on, this is while I was still impatient. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I was on a morphine drip, obviously, for a little bit. And, you know, they take you off of that. And uh, and then, like, what? Uh, since I had third degree burns, they would, you know, they would take, roll, roll, they would, <clears throat> the burn ward, they would roll us into the showers and they'd scrub the burns to clean them. And that was Ooh. quite painful. And um, so the the standard was or something like that right before we do the showers or right before we get in the showers, like a half hour beforehand, the nurses would bring in Percocets or pain meds or whatever. And you take that before you went in. Yeah, it felt good. You felt good on it, but you're just feeling good while you're still in pain. It really didn't do anything. You know, it's all really pain medicine does is maybe will help alleviate acute pain, not chronic. If you have from chronic pain, no matter what you take, you're still going to feel that regardless. You might just be high and feel that pain, pain still. Right. But I, I knew early on, like, man, I don't want to feel this way. You know, I'd rather just deal with this on my own and let my body naturally deal with the pain and I can get used to it. So I don't have to like rely on being on some type of drugs. Right. Um, which was not the case with a lot of other people. You know, they got really, I mean, we all know the whole opioid crisis and all that stuff for people just getting addicted to um, uh, over-the-counter med- or medicines in general. And, you know, especially that time, guys coming back, they, they fell into the deep end Yeah, with taking that stuff, which mentally is not good for you. You yeah. know, you're on pain meds and you just went through a horrific incident and plus, you know, they might be, you know, they might be drinking on it at the same time or something. All that's a combination of for disaster. Right. You know, so a lot of there, there's a lot of things during that time in San Antonio. And as I'm sure at Walter Reed and all the other places as well, where they had like a good uh, contingent of wounded guys and, you know, girls, not just guys, you know, right. wounded veterans there after or. There's a lot of things that happen within those areas that, you know, it's not really commonly talked about. When I was there, there 
there's dudes like they 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 they'd find people dead in their barracks room because they overdosed on whatever drugs and you know or people killed themselves but they're not going to talk about that you right. know wow and there was there was like an underlying like like really bad thing going on in these places yeah and all that due to mainly cuz of them the drugs they were giving us yeah um what what was the conscious decision for you to to really put those down though was it from a certain episode or was it just the overall realization i mean so when i after i was outpatient i had like a little cocktail of like drugs or medications i needed to take especially for like nerve pain and like when i had the ostomy bag i'd take like stool softeners and plus if i was on pain medicine they give you stool softeners too at the same time whatever just all these different types of medicine and i really just looked at all these bottles and stuff and i was like what don't i really need like what can i manage without Right. And everything was all the pain stuff. It was, was like, very self-aware of you yeah, to make that decision. Like, I was like, I don't yeah. need this. You know, I, I don't want to rely on taking this so I can function my daily life. Yeah. You know, it's almost like what I talked about earlier. Like, you know, I, I, I want to be able to figure out how to function without having a crutch. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> be as independent as possible because that's the ultimate goal here, you know. That's the ultimate goal of any type of recovery when you go through something horrific is to be as independent as you possibly can. I mean, there might be some crutches or something you have to use to deal with to move on, um, but to be less away from that is the ultimate goal. Right. It's what I would think. Not like, okay, I can just just limp on figuring out, you know, just doing this a little bit. But why, why, if I don't have to do this or if I don't have to take this pill, if I don't have to use these crutches, if I don't have to um, wear this certain whatever, or just be minimize that and then be more independent. That's the goal. Yeah. You know? and, and look, I don't want to make people think that I'm in any way against, you know, just pharmaceuticals at all. Because as you know, Maddie and I were talking about the, lead singer from Memphis Mayfire it's like sometimes pills are necessary like yeah. sometimes you oh, yeah. know you need your brain chemistry altered mm-hmm. in that moment like you know he talked about you know being able to like feel the sun again for the first time yeah. after starting to take Zoloft you know yeah. where it was like you know finally experiencing some of those good mm-hmm. feelings like he said so it helped me in the moment where I needed that bridge yep. to get to that better mental place but at the same time, man, like thinking about the necessity of things is yep. very important like do mm-hmm. I really need this like, yeah. is this really helping, or is this just another additional buffer yeah. to killing the pain totally exactly, and removing all adversity from my life? And and, if pe- and the thing is, like, say if there is one of those whatever uh, prescription drugs or something I needed to use, how I would use it now is only when I think is needed yeah i wouldn't use i wouldn't use the recommended dosage it says on the bottles like you know take two of these every you know six hours for two weeks and you should be fine you know i'd be like no i'll just take one or two here and see how i do for next couple days and you know see how i take my body takes it because like a lot of that stuff i think people um i mean they don't abuse it they do what it says it's recommended or they abuse it and that's the problem you know yeah totally now they're addicted or whatever oh yeah there oh i mean there were times in the army where i'd get so hurt it would be like 
you know, they they tell me to take, you know, dosage on the label and it would be like, take two and I need to take like four, you know, yeah. like <laughs> like to make it through the next day, yeah. you know, it's like, okay, that, you know, I'm a big dude, I'm 220 pounds, I'm yeah. not some, you know, you're 5'8", 130 pound yeah. girl you're thinking about, you know, like, I'm a big dude, I gotta take more, but it, it truly is pain management, it's really mm-hmm. just like, okay, what's gonna make me, you know, bring me to the other side of that with the, you know, with as little of pain as possible, mm-hmm. right? Like at the same time, not numbing myself to all pain mm-hmm. and not just doing it to like get high, right? Yeah. And get that feeling. That's a, I think that's a real danger zone, man. I had yeah. a same thing for me. I had a surgery and it was when I was out of the army and it was down at the VA and they gave me a cyclobenzaprine, um, you know, muscle relaxer, yeah. you know, uh, like a, like a prescription pack. And it was like 300 pills. Jesus. Yeah. And I was like, wait, how did I just have half my body cut off? Like, like what kind of prescription load is this? Are they trying to kill me? That's crazy. Yeah. So I got this like 300 prescription load and I was just like, I remember I took like a couple, um, you know, one, I didn't feel the first one kick in. I didn't know about this Mm -hmm. pill at all, clearly, because I didn't wait for it to kick in. I took the second one and it just like knock, I felt super good and it just like knocked me out and that scared me so badly about how good that felt that I dumped the rest on the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, no, that is not good. Like I need to like I need to have some feeling, you yeah. know. And so realizing that um, you know, it is truly about pain management. Mm-hmm. And you know that, you know, way better than I do with the loss of your leg. W- what do you think, you know, what do you think as far as the VA just makes it that that way? Why do you think that is that they're, you know, that they're kind of dealing with a one size fits all approach? And, you know, I know it's gotten better in recent years because they've had to because of all the lawsuits. But but what about that is that way? Why do you I, think it's that I, way? I think really a lot of that stuff is, you know, above my pay grade. You know, yeah. <laughs> they yeah. they you know, they probably like. They probably just, it's probably they're told like, okay, hey, this is what we have and this is what we can offer to our patients. And here are the set numbers that they, or numbers of pills or whatever that we should give to these patients that they're displaying these types of, you know, problems. Yeah. You know, and they, it's probably written down in a book and a policy for these doctors to look at and that's what they're supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe they can, and maybe the doctors may have some, uh, power over yes or no or how much yeah but they have a set thing they're probably supposed to do for each patient that displays this certain type of pain or whatever you know so what you're saying is bureaucracy is always a problem mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah the government's hands getting their <laughs> hand, grubby little hands on things <laughs> is a problem it's like Anytime that you try to manage something, I truly believe they do care, and a lot of those yeah. doctors do. I've had some great doctors through the VA. Yeah, anyway. oh yeah. But uh, I, I think anytime you're trying to manage something and like a systemic, you know, like a, like a big massive approach like that, and it just shows you the the problems with one size fits all approaches yeah. and like the government managing something. I mean, have you ever known the government to do something and like be super compassionate? <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I can I can't go to the DMV without feeling like you know I. Like I, I, you know, want to step outside and like, you know, just die. <laughs> like anytime I'm sitting in there, it's like, it's just the worst feeling yeah. in the world, you know? Yeah. 
So it's like thinking that that's going to be what fixes us. I'm really happy about a lot of these nonprofits stepping up uh, because I really think that's the place where we get better. Mm-hmm. I and, and don't get me wrong, there are some nonprofits out there that are definitely mismanaging funds, misallocating oh, yeah. things, and you know, and doing a bad job. Um, but there are a lot of nonprofits out there that are doing yeah, incredible doing jobs. Great things, yeah. And I, I think that that's where the real key is. And when everybody starts screaming about the VA needing to be better, I'm like, well, no, maybe that's not the massive, that's maybe that's not the answer because yeah. that just means bigger government. Yeah. And like any time that we can get other veterans to care about other veterans, mm-hmm. we're always going to take a more personalized approach, yeah. man. We're always going to show more empathy. Mm-hmm. You know, I think of I was just out in. Montana with heroes and horses. They're very clear about horses not, Mustangs not even necessarily being the median as to heal. But like a lot of these guys have gotten off of heroin, have gotten off of painkillers yeah. and stuff just through this backcountry mm-hmm. experience, you know, realizing like adversity is actually good sometimes. And so I, I think the more. That we look at the, I think the more that we realize that a one-size-fits-all approach is not the answer, that every person needs to be individually assessed, the more that we can find fixes for a lot of these issues, you know. We're never, look, we're never going to end the suicide problem completely. No. Like, people are always going to off themselves, you know, Mm -hmm. like, that's always going to happen. And that's that's just the sad truth. Mm -hmm. I mean, I lost my best friend from my unit to that, Mm -hmm. so I know. But... But the simple fact is, is we can reduce these numbers by a lot. Yeah. And I really think taking a more personalized approach is mm-hmm. the answer to oh, that. Yeah. You know, I like, agree yeah, completely yeah. with that. Yeah. Uh, did, you know, did you have you seen a lot of that from your unit? Did you have a lot of you know? Did you have times where you know you were really worried about guys and in getting out and you know? And oh yeah, we've had so many guys since that deployment and now has you know ultimately you know committed suicide yeah wow yeah. i mean what's that like what's it, i know what it's like because i've lost mm-hmm. some guys but what's that like what's that feeling like for you you know Dude, you i mean i'll be on completely honest at, at first like early on it's just like man it fucking sucks you know i mean it always fucking sucks you know when you hear about it but now but now you um it's almost it's and I hate to say this, man. It's almost like, hey, did you hear about so and so? He killed himself. Oh fuck! You must feel numb to yeah, it. Numb yeah, numb to it. It's just like, all right, you know. Jeez. Yeah. It, it's just it's it's really kind of annoying, but it's the truth. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I feel the same. It's like I mean. fuck. Uh, what what could I do about it? You know. Yeah. Well, uh, appreciated, Jay. Thanks so much for coming on and. Uh, Thank you for welcoming me into your home, man. I appreciate it. No, thank you for having me, man. Yeah. You're welcome anytime. Buddy. Okay. I'm going to use that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I live here now. <laughs> I don't have a home in Texas. <laughs> Thanks again, man. Appreciate you. Hi, buddy. All right. For all those of you listening to the podcast, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And most of all, don't forget our legacies are the mission. This has been the Veterans Project Podcast with our founder, Tim Kay. Check us out at www.thevetsproject.com, on Instagram, at The Veterans Project, Facebook, The Veterans Project, and Twitter, at Project underscore Veteran. Thanks for listening, and don't forget, our legacies are the mission.